Hello and welcome back to The Mentors. This is Vadim. And Sergey. And this is a show where we talk about the reality of entrepreneurship to help you get past the difficult early days of getting your venture off the ground. And also a show where we try to demystify some of the things around entrepreneurship that I guess for some reason are cryptic. There's content out there online, but sometimes it's contradictory. And what we want to do is communicate to you what we're experiencing in the real world, specifically here, of course, in the New York City market. You know we're going to be real with you. We're going to be real with you. We're going to be real real. every time. Like the real Slim Shady. So today is going to be part three of our fundraising 101 series that I believe is going to end up being about four parts long. Last week, we talked about how to actually get your foot in the door with investors, how to schedule a bunch of meetings, even if you don't have a network of investors that you can tap into or even people that you already know that might know investors that they can introduce you to. We literally gave you a blueprint for how to get off the ground, how to get started with fundraising when you're starting from scratch. So if you haven't listened to that episode, do tune in to last week's Fundraising 101 episode about getting the meeting. But today, we're actually going to talk about what happens when you do get meetings with investors. So the title of this episode is The Investor Pitch. The Pitch. The Pitch. And of course, next week, we're going to be talking about how to actually negotiate terms once you have had some successful meetings and people are interested how to run the process of putting together a first fundraising round and also what a due diligence process will look like on both ends both from the investor's perspective and from your perspective deciding on who you should bring on as an investor now we know that our opinions that we share in this series, they're not to be taken alone. You should do your own research. There are plenty of people that talk about fundraising. We're just sharing our perspective based on what we've seen happen in the investments that we've made and in the fundraising experience that we had when we were uh, attempting to raise money for our business. And we want to give you guys the, the most transparent opinion that we can. But you always want to seek as many opinions as possible so you can make your own informed decisions. Some great other resources to learn about fundraising are um, Brad Feld writes a lot about it. In fact, he wrote a book on venture capital with a partner of his that you should check out. It's called Venture Deals by Brad Feld. There are people like Mark Suster that write about it, uh, avc.com. That is a, a great blog by Fred Wilson of Union Square Ventures. Fred is actually a supporter of the work that we do at the Entrepreneurial Institute at NYU. And there are plenty of people that write about the topic, but we just want to simplify it as much as possible and make it accessible to you. That really is the goal of every single episode that we do is to demystify and simplify all of the really convoluted parts of running a business. If you're learning about it for the first time, uh, most people learn by doing. You can't really read in a book end-to-end how to run a business. All this stuff is really useful and you really want to know what the reality is of doing these things. Also, with these episodes, we try to provide you with a formula for, or at least one or two versions of how something can be accomplished. Part of the reason why we do that is because that is something that we have always craved. When we meet somebody successful, we always wonder how did that person actually accomplish what they did to see if we could reverse engineer it, to see if we can borrow some ideas from them. With that said, there are always exceptions to the rules. You've probably read recently about Adam Newman and how he raised money from SoftBank from a 15-minute pitch meeting. Now, that's probably a little bit sensationalized, but still, it is very possible, and it is true that some people can raise millions of dollars from relatively short meetings and interactions. 
So of course there are exceptions to the rules and even to some of the things that we're gonna be sharing with you today, but it is one starting point for you, again, if you have zero context or not a lot of experience with this type of thing. Yeah, don't take those stories that you read, those sensational stories as basically assumptions of what's gonna happen to you. The reason why these things happen sometimes so quickly and so much money is traded so quickly is typically because there's so much traction and the opportunity seems so attractive and the market's so big. Most people don't have all those things come together at once immediately. It takes time to figure it out. One thing that we talked about last week is that you may want to practice pitching to investors that are not the top investors on your list at first. The reason for that is because it simply takes a couple of tries to get good at telling your story and pitching your idea. And you want to make sure that by the time you get to the most coveted investors on your list, you got that pitch down. Go to your mentors, go to people that you trust. Heck, email us at info at the mentors.co if you want to practice your pitch. And perhaps we'll find some time to hop on a call with you and do that. Make sure you do that before you get into the meetings. But let's say you scored some meetings with investors that you want to have in your round. What now? How do you run that meeting so that there's a successful outcome? And how do you actually make sure that you're prepared for that meeting? And by the way, the most successful entrepreneurs or the people that we know that are getting the most traction are the ones that are constantly pitching in front of large groups of people, small groups of people, and of course, investors. And even then, sometimes they will get in front of a really important investor and mess up. But the most important thing is that you don't hold on to whatever failure happened that happened to be to a meeting that didn't go too well and just focus on that next meeting. The more you do it, the better you become. But again, let's say you're getting in the door with an investor. You have a 45-minute to an hour-long meeting on the calendar. You're going to their offices. In a typical scenario, if it's an angel investor, you're probably just meeting with them one-on-one. If it's an angel group, you might be meeting in front of up to 10, 15 people that might have to decide unanimously if they want to make an investment in your company. And then more often than not, I would say you're meeting with a handful of people. So Sergey, in the example of NYU, when the founders are pitching the investors and the board, how many people are in the room? In our example, by the time we bring the founder in to pitch the board and most venture capital funds, you're going to have a similar experience. You probably already have pitched a partner. So they already pitched myself, maybe my boss, Frank. And then once we vetted them at least a little bit and saw that the pitch is good, we'll invite them to a board meeting where there will be anywhere from five to 11 people in the room or remotely listening to the pitch and asking questions, which leads to the first point that we want to make, which is that Every investor meeting that you're going to have is going to go a little bit differently. Every investor has their own biases, curiosities, expertise, and they're going to lean on different things. So you got to be prepared to be the expert in a lot of different, pretty much every different aspect of your business. That being said, there are certain things that every investor expects you to have to be prepared to answer that we're going to talk about here. So again, some investors might be really product-oriented, and so you should have your CTO there with you to help answer any really specific detailed product questions, right? Maybe the investor is an engineer or wasn't an engineer in a previous life. Some investors are going to be numbers-oriented, so you have to have your financials really down, even if you're not a numbers person. A lot of investors want to hear about how big the market opportunity is. Sometimes you can just sell an investor on a big vision, and that is the most important thing to communicate. 
what we recommend you do is you literally Google demo day pitches or startup pitch decks, and there are countless, hundreds of examples from some of the biggest companies we know like Airbnb, Square, Facebook of their early pitch decks. And you will notice some similarities across these pitch decks. When I teach my entrepreneurship class about how to structure a pitch deck, I always have them reference these first because there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. So instead of reciting to you all the different elements of a pitch deck, which you could easily look up yourself, what we're going to talk about is some of the mistakes that founders make when they're preparing for an investor meeting and what we think are the most important components of a successful pitch. The best founder pitches that I've ever seen include two important elements. One is that the founder is able through their emotion, through the way they pitch and present, evoke passion, a passion for the problem. In other words, talk about why they care at all about the business. Instead of just talking about, you know, here's the problem, here's the solution, here's the market. Of course, all those things are important, but why do you care? What's the personal story behind it? So having a story within your pitch is critical. Now you might ask, do I have to have a pitch deck in that meeting? You should have one prepared, have it with you to go through. Some investors, even in a first meeting, expect to go through a deck. But oftentimes when you're meeting for the first time with an investor, maybe over coffee or whatever, you might not even need a deck. They may not even expect it because you're just having a conversation. But even through that conversation, the story of why this problem matters to you is something that a lot of founders miss, but you have to have that rehearsed, your ability to communicate that effectively. And usually that folds into the bigger why, the vision for what you're trying to create and why it should exist. Now, of course, you're pitching to investors. These are people that have one goal in mind, quite frankly, and that's to make a return on their investment. And so you also have to communicate the opportunity, the size of the opportunity, why it's so big and why they're going to win if they put money into you. The other mistake that many entrepreneurs make is that you'll go through their deck with them and by the end of the deck, you still have very little idea of what traction they have. In other words, what have they been able to actually tangibly accomplish for their business? Now, maybe you're very early and you don't have a whole lot of traction. Maybe you don't have revenue yet and you want to pitch investors even before revenue. That's fine, but there are probably things that you've done that prove that the business has legs. And if you haven't, then the timing to pitch is not right yet. You should wait until you actually have something to show beyond just an idea. But anything that you've done to validate that there's demand, anything that you've done toward building the product or toward generating initial demand, that's traction. You know, even the team that you have, advisors that you have, et cetera, other investors that you're talking to, all of that is traction. A lot of entrepreneurs, they sort of bury the lead where they don't think it's enough traction, so they don't talk about it at all. They just want to talk about the opportunity, but no. The investors are always waiting to hear, what have you actually done to make this real? Why should I believe you? As a matter of fact, I think that if you're going to talk about anything, you can forget about all the other advice that we give and only focus on the traction. The traction is what gets the close. It is the strongest part of any conversation or pitch or presentation, and we way too often see entrepreneurs miss the mark on that and undervalue the importance of traction in a pitch meeting. One small caveat, and it's a great piece of advice that I got from a former boss of mine who's raised money several times when I asked him for introductions to some investors. 
he said this. He said, don't spill all your beans, all the great stuff about your business at once. For example, if you're in negotiations with a potential client or partner or for some public relations, you know, PR news opportunity that's going to be huge that's coming up. Don't talk about it now. Talk about it when it's real because it gives you time to reveal great information and demonstrate traction as you get to know the investor. Most investors are not going to invest from that first meeting. So don't feel like you have to disclose all the traction at once and all the future things that you have lined up. Wait till they come to fruition so that you can share good news as the deal is coming together. That's really critical and that helps with the momentum of putting around together. Now, when you go into an investor meeting, the rule of thumb is the CEO always has to be the one that the investor is meeting with. It doesn't look that good if you send one of your co-founders or someone that's not the executive director to the meeting because the investor will always wonder, am I not important enough to meet with the CEO? Or even worse, they might assume that the CEO doesn't even have what it takes to communicate the vision of their business to a professional investor. So when in doubt, rule of thumb, the CEO always has to be the one that's in these investor meetings. But as we mentioned earlier, you might want to bring a support person with you like a CTO or product-oriented person or a numbers person or someone that can own objection handling or answering of certain questions that you might be weaker at. We still believe the CEO should kind of know everything that's associated with their company, but it is okay to have some support in that meeting as well. Keep in mind, though, the optics are important. If you're going to meet with one investor, you don't want to come with your whole team right? The balance of scales there doesn't really work out. The investor might feel uncomfortable meeting with that many people. They might feel like you're desperate for the money. So at most, if you're meeting with one person, bring one other person to help you out on the pitch. But usually those meetings can be done alone as well. Yeah. And if they want your technical person to be there at the meeting, you might even push back. And for the first meeting, you might not take your technical person because they're too busy building product. You might only actually bring them in when there's more interest, when they get into diligence and they're actually trying to uncover more information about the business before making an investment decision. But we're going to talk about the due diligence process in the next episode. One other thing that we often get asked is, you know, I'm working on this business. We're in stealth mode. We have a lot of proprietary information and technology. How much should I share with the investor? Should I make them sign an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, before we actually get to talking about the business? So, Sergey, what's the advice you typically give entrepreneurs about NDAs? I think there's a lot of misunderstanding uh, in the market about how to appropriately go about either getting one signed or even asking people to sign one. So, NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, are designed to protect you from your information being stolen or shared inappropriately by the people that you're sharing it with, which is obviously very important. In fact, all of your employees are and co-founders are going to sign NDAs once they start working with you because they're getting to see some trade secrets that you don't want coming out of there. In practice, are you actually going to sue everyone if you suspect that uh, that they leaked some information? Of course not. That's really expensive. But it is a nice way of protecting yourself. That being said, if every single investor that you meet for a first meeting, you ask for an NDA, that's going to scare them away a little bit. And most investors will not agree to sign an NDA in that first meeting for the simple reason that they have hundreds, if not thousands, of first meetings every single year. If all of those meetings had NDAs attached to them, 
then that would create a huge amount of exposure, legal exposure for the investor where you could sue them even if you suspect something and they have you know hundreds of these people that could potentially sue them if they suspect they're in breach of an NDA. So it's too risky, they won't sign it, most likely in that first meeting. But should they ever sign the NDA? Well, if they're starting to get into the diligence process where they're actually starting to look deeper and digging up more information about your technology, your processes, et cetera, then you can ask them to sign and that's okay because they're seriously now evaluating the deal. But early on, they're just probably not going to agree to it. Don't waste their time and your own time trying to get them to sign it. Just do your own diligence making sure that the person is credible when you meet them by doing a reference check or seeing what investments they've made that show their credibility in the marketplace. And the risk of them stealing information is going to be relatively low. And of course, there are some bad actors out there. I still read about VCs that will take a meeting only to share the information that they learned from that meeting with an existing portfolio company, basically to get competitive intelligence and essentially screw the early stage company that they're meeting with that they're not invested in. That does happen. It's up to you and your discretion to research the people that you're meeting with to see if there is inherent trust there. Because if you're going to be taking their money, there should be trust there. And if there's any semblance of unethical or immoral activity on the part of the investor, you should maybe think twice about taking that meeting, If even if you are desperate for money. Yeah. Remember that if you look at their portfolio and it looks like they've invested in one or two companies that are very similar to yours or a company that's pretty much exactly the same in the business model or the product, know that they're not actually going to ultimately invest in you because that would be a conflict of interest. I have never heard of a company investing in two of the exact same companies because there's an inherent uh, conflict of interest there. So if they're taking a meeting with you, that's a bit suspect. They're probably just fishing for information. So you can definitely meet with investors who have invested in the same industry or a similar or complementary products or services. But if they've invested in exactly the same kind of product, I would be wary because they're probably just fishing for information. But let's say the meeting does go pretty well. The investor is receptive. They're asking a bunch of questions. You're, you feel really good in the way that you're answering them. What do you do at the end of the meeting to make sure that there's momentum? Well, first thing that I would do is just like in our advice that we give in sales, I would actually ask the investor about their decision-making process. So there are a couple questions you can ask. One is that, what's your typical check size? What stage do you invest in? How quickly do you make a decision? What information do you need to make a decision? And how long does it, does it take? Who else should I talk to uh, in your fund or your colleagues or whoever in order for you to be able to make a decision? Who else do you need to talk to on my team, etc.? Just so you can gather a bunch of information. And if they're showing buying signals, as in they're sitting there trying to schedule the next meeting right there, right, then you can actually talk numbers. So most of the time in the first meeting, you're not going to talk numbers. You could ask what their general average check size is, but you're probably not going to be talking terms and numbers in that first meeting. If you sense that they make decisions very quickly and they're already showing that they're interested, then you can talk about, you know, when we're actually closing the round, how much can I expect for you to commit to investing? And you can also ask, if they do commit, if they say, I love it, I'm interested, first or second meeting, they say, I I'm interested, I want to commit $50,000 into this round, you could also ask, can I use your commitment when I talk to other investors to show them that we actually have commitment in the round? We'll talk a little bit more next episode about that strategy of how to get those commitments, but you may actually sometimes have that discussion even in the first meeting if it's going really well. Now, professional investors are also masters of 
kicking the tires, if you will. You will almost never get a no from an investor. Mostly what will happen after a meeting is if they're not ready to give you a check right now, they'll say, keep me updated, You know, follow up with me in the next month or two months as you continue to get traction, as you continue to get to reach certain milestones. Or they might say, follow up with me when you have another investor interested or a lead investor interested. In that case, Remember that they don't want to lose the opportunity in case some of their friends or competitive investors get in on the deal because they did take the meeting with you and no opportunity is ever completely closed. But also remember that while you should keep them updated with this progress and while they might still become an investor down the line, you probably are not going to get a check from them right now unless they start making introductions to their buddies that want to go into the round right away then you know that they probably are serious about making an investment. But do keep them updated, but don't expect the money to come in anytime soon and make sure that you're not wasting time on leads that are not going to convert. Exactly. You really don't want to waste time on people that write small checks that expect a ton of time meeting with you, asking for a bunch of information, right? You might do that for people that are writing bigger checks, but still, even then, be careful and not waste your time with those people that are sending you potential signals that they might invest, but they're keeping one foot out the door. We'll talk about next week about some strategies of how to actually make sure that you create urgency in a deal to make sure you start closing people or disqualifying them if they're never going to invest. Getting that no, forcing the no if you have to. Uh, But hopefully this episode was helpful in figuring out how that first meeting tends to go. If there's anything you take away from this episode is that your passion and excitement and that story that you tell is really what's going to sell that investor. Uh, They want to believe that it's essentially a rocket ship that's taken off. That's when investors really make those investment decisions. When they feel like you're going to do the thing that you say you're going to do regardless of whether they're in and they can see that there's other people that are interested in other organizations and funds and investors, etc., that's when they want to write checks, when they feel like it's a rocket ship that's about to take off and they don't want to miss it. Also, take a little bit of pressure off yourself. Remember, this is just a meeting. There are probably countless other investors that you can meet with as well if you're doing the work of actually getting in the door with these people. And that just like anything else, you're building a relationship. The only difference is, of course, you're meeting with a professional investor who is very used to these types of meetings and know exactly what questions to ask, which is why you need to come prepared. You don't know if this person is going to be product-oriented, so you need to know your product in and out. You don't know if this person is going to only care about the size of the market and the opportunity, so you need to be able to communicate the size of the opportunity to them in a way that makes sense, in a way that makes it believable. You don't know if they're going to be a finance-oriented person, so you need to understand your financials in and out and understand your unit economics to communicate to them why the money and the math make sense for the business. As long as you're prepared going into this meeting and do the homework, you're probably going to be okay. Thanks for listening to part three of our four-part series on Fundraising 101. Next week, we're going to talk about actually closing the deal. What is involved in getting investors to actually write the checks and wire you the money? That is the thing that is often most mystical for first-time founders. I'm going to tell you exactly how that works next week. We hope everybody has had an incredible start to their holidays. And we're going to be with you all the way through the jingle bells. Jingle bells, jingle bells. Maybe, Sergey, maybe you can edit in some uh, some of the bells. Perchance. All right. Enjoy your week. Bye-bye.